Can you change who you are when it comes to money mindset? I, I think you can change who you are. And um, and I and I know that you can because I've done it. You know, I think back to who I was when I was huh, 21, 22, or even 25, 26, 27. I'm now in my mid-30s, and it feels like that is a totally different person. Like, I don't even know that girl. I can't even believe I was that girl because it feels like a completely different person. Um, I know it's the same me, right? But it just it's wild to me because I've evolved psychologically. Um, and I think that the reason why my psychology was able to shift is because I really started to recognize certain things that were at play in my life that I maybe just wasn't so hyper aware of before. So one of them is I began to, um, to feel defensive and protective. And I never felt like that before about money. When I would get money immediately, I'd want to spend it. Right. I'd want to go buy something that I want, shoes, clothes, food. I want to go experience, you know, the concert, go get movie tickets, go bowling. It was always get, 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 give, give me, give me, give me, give me, give me. And, and that's what money was for me. It was just this transactional thing that would allow me to get goods and things that I wanted. Hey, guys, and welcome to Money Talks News, the podcast. In this episode, we're talking about how the way you think can make you richer or poorer. We've all heard the stories. People win the lottery, then they lose it all. Or a millionaire who loses everything, then they rebuild their fortune seemingly overnight. And these are examples illustrating that financial success isn't just determined by your income and expenses, just like success as an athlete isn't all just about talent. A significant part of winning, physical or financial, comes from things like your attitude and beliefs. So today we're going to talk about how you can flip your mental script to unleash your potential. I'm Stacey Johnson. As usual, my co-host will be financial journalist Miranda Marquette. Hello, Miranda. Hello, Stacey. I am ready to flip my mindset. That's a great and become attitude. Become a millionaire. I'm ready to become a millionaire. <laughs> Listening in and sometimes contributing is our producer and novice investor, Aaron Freeman. Hello, Aaron. Hey, I'm in a thinking hole. I can't get out of it. <laughs> well, we're going to yank you out of it. Our guest today is Yanelli Espinal, the author of the book, Mind Your Money. Hello, Yanelli. Hi, everybody. Oh, I'm so excited to be here. Thanks for inviting me on. I'm so excited for you being here. You know, he's going to help us figure out how to change your money mindset and position yourself for success. Before we start our podcast, remember, folks, this is never financial advice. So make sure you do your own research and consult your own experts before acting on anything you learn here. Okay. Let's dive in. Yanelli, let's begin by you telling us how you happen to be our humble narrator today. What, 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 what is it about you that is, makes you so interested in this topic? <laughs> well, I made every mistake in the book. <laughs> That's what it is. Yeah, I, so I grew up in a family that really didn't talk about money. We didn't have a lot of money. Uh, my parents, they're immigrants from Dominican Republic, so they, they never opened bank accounts. They didn't trust financial institutions, and they don't speak English, and they didn't have a lot of education. So, you know, they did what they could with what they knew, which, you know, was very limited. And so for me, I just didn't have a lot of exposure to conversations about money or, or watching anybody create a budget or, you know, open bank accounts or have credit cards or debit cards. So when I got to college, I went ahead and opened my first student credit card and I maxed that thing out. Um, mm-hmm. I bought, you know, everything I thought I needed and I wanted. And then I got a second card, then a third card. And so for me, the big mistakes early on with money started with, you know, misusing and abusing credit cards, ruining my credit score and having to recover from that in my 20s so I could get an apartment and, you know, have some stability later on. And that, you know, just kind of lit a fire in me that 
that, hey, this is wrong. Why, why wasn't I taught anything about my credit score in school? Why wasn't I taught about managing credit and 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 responsible borrowing, right? Um, and, and so I just became very passionate about these topics and I, I self-taught myself. I just read every book I could get, watched every video I could watch, listened to every podcast and read every newsletter and blog. Uh, and so then I decided to create content and start sharing as a financial educator myself. So, by the way, did you read Life? <clears throat> excuse me, Life or Debt? I did not read Life or Debt. You I read said Your you Money read or every Your book. Life. I wrote that book. Okay. Oh, so I gotta I'm, read it. I gotta no, read it. Life I'm really or hurt. Debt. I'm, I'm, really I'm adding hurt. it to my list. <laughs> <laughs> no, tell me though, why do you think? What is your money mindset? Have to do with anything? Because you know the story you just told. I've been doing yeah. personal finance for forty years. And mm -hmm. the story you just told, I have heard 10 billion times. I yeah. mean, virtually everybody. See, when I went to college, they didn't give you credit cards because you didn't have a job. Mm. Uh, and that, you know, and then, of course, in the latest generation, people have gotten credit cards. You know, if you can fog a mirror, you get a credit card and then right. they typically blow up. Right. Um, but but what do you think money mindset had to do with what happened to you? Yeah. I mean, I, I think that your money mindset is just an extension of your regular mindset, you know, when you, when you just think about your mindset, like that's how you view the world. That's how you perceive the world and and the way that you value, you know, people and, and, and experiences. And so your your mindset generally is like rooted in your upbringing, you know, your your experiences uh, growing up, your education, um, culture, your, your family's culture or your ethnic culture, uh, your religion, if you adhere to a specific religion. And so where those specific things overlap and like intersect with money that's where your money mindset is then created so think about your upbringing what were some you know early money lessons that you were taught by your caretakers whether it was explicit or not you you picked up certain lessons about money early on you know your education right like for me i think about how i never got an education about money i never was taught any lessons about money but in i remember like having um, interactions with very wealthy students around me and, and me being the quote unquote scholarship kid, the one that was lucky enough to be there and only there because I got a scholarship and how that educational experience, um, you know, kind of created thoughts and ideas in my mind and beliefs about my identity and how I interacted with money. Um, my culture, you know, my family coming from another country and their social attitudes about money and how they acted towards money. Um, they didn't trust financial institutions. They don't trust the stock market. That stuff is is scary. It's foreign. It's, um, you know, in their country, people would put money into a bank account and they would come back to pick to deposit to to withdraw their deposits a couple of weeks later. And the bank would say, we've never seen you before. We don't we don't know who you are. You don't have an account here. Please leave. And the money would just disappear. And that type of corruption in so many developing countries scares immigrants to avoid banking and avoid financial institutions and avoid investments, um, you know, and then religion and, and its teachings about money. Like I think about my childhood and my mom, she's so religious. And she would tell me that in her Bible, it always said that money is the root of all evil and that we shouldn't want money. We shouldn't chase money because it's going to make us power hungry and it's going to make us evil. So, you know, when you combine all those things, those experiences, those lessons from your upbringing, the educational exposure, your, your culture, your religion, all that stuff and where it overlaps with money, that's what creates your money mindset. And for me, it's it's basically how you it's your operating manual for how you approach money and every little behavior and every little choice and every thought that you have related to money is rooted in those things that create your money mindset, which is the foundation for everything that you do um, and, and believe and, and do you know, in terms of your behavior with your money.
Yeah, you know, now I'm going to tell my story. And while I'm doing this, I want uh, Aaron, you and Miranda, think about what your story is going to be because I'm just about to ask you. But when when I was young, my okay, my dad grew up in the Depression. So dirt poor. Had to leave home because it, there was too many mouths to feed, that mm-hmm. kind of thing. Just terrible. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I grew up with an attitude. My, my dad's attitude was, if you got money, you stole it. You cheated somebody. He, he would regard rich people with a sneer. Mm-hmm. You know, like, yeah. oh, of course, so and so is rich. They're on the board of, of the they're on the county board of directors. So, so they, they know when the freeway's coming through and they, you know, if you did, if you were rich, you did something that wasn't nice to get there. Right. That was his attitude. Right. Um, and, and, you know, and, and also I remember you said religion. I remember this expression. It's easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to gain entrance to the kingdom of God. Yeah. The common expression. That's and then right. these things are in religion. And so how do we, this is just, a, and, and you know, as you grow up, and I, I became successful relatively early, not, you know, not hugely successful, but I made good money as a stockbroker when I was 25 years old. Um, and, and it was hard. I would always think that I was sitting in this corner office, which I actually wasn't at 25, more like 35. But anyway, <laughs> I would think somebody's about to discover that I cheated to get here. They're about to wow. walk in here and, and I'm going to be pushing a shopping cart by the end wow. of the day. I mean, I was just always sure that I didn't deserve the success that I'd achieved. So, did, what about you, Miranda? Did you have any, what was your background and what was your money attitude and where did it come from? Yeah, I mean, so, I mean, I had a very like uh, middle-class suburban upbringing. And so, you know, it was really a lot about like uh, the idea of, you know, that there's like this one path to like, you know, just middle-class success, right? Um, this idea that you're going to uh, go to college, you're going to get good grades, and then you're going to have a job and you're going to work this real job for 30 years, and then you're going to retire. And when you've done everything right, uh, then then you'll have this this level of comfort and success. And, um, and so for for me, it was just it was just all very basic. Like my parents never taught me about investing. Uh, they taught me about like, oh, make sure you're saving, make sure that you're careful about credit cards. And so they taught me like those kind of basic things. Yeah. Uh, but I also grew up in a religion um, that looked at prosperity as God's blessings. And so it was like, okay, so if you do everything you're supposed to do, do what you're supposed to do and do right by God, pay your tithing, do those things, then you'll have a comfortable middle-class lifestyle. And so that was, I mean, that was like, that was the dream, um, you know, to have a comfortable middle-class lifestyle as a stay-at-home mom, maybe doing some part-time work from home, but like, um, but nothing like the life I live now. So, um, and and so for me, moving away from like the path of the supposed to do's was really, uh, for me, what it was, was breaking out of this idea that I had to live a certain way, follow a certain path, and um, and then uh, and, and moving forward and doing the freelance thing, uh, learning how to invest, all of that kind of thing, kind of, um, you know, my mom's, I, I joke that like I'm the great disappointment because I have done nothing. <laughs> what I was supposed to do. Um, and so, uh, and I, and I live life on my terms, which I really like. Uh, but for like my parents and everything, like I've, um, busted out of the mold and, uh, I'm, I'm out here, uh, living in sin and they can't understand why I'm being financially rewarded for it. So it's, it's kind of an interesting way to look at it really. It is. Definitely. How about, how about you, Aaron? 
Um, I, I came from a worker family. Um, I, I know my, my grandfather back in the day bought uh, all our land on pennies on the dollar. But even then, all that land that we bought was just land you lived on. I mean, nobody in my family thought about how can we convert this into wealth? And and, and I, when I grew up, I was very poor. Uh, my parents were poor. And over time, I think by the time I was in high school, my father eventually became an engineer for Corning. And even then, I distinctly remember as a kid, my father, uh, you know, being coaxed by his coworkers to get into the to 401k. And I can remember him going, you know, I got to learn about this thing. I don't even know anything about it. It scares me, the stock market. And I think the the the, the idea of, you know, learning about money was never in my family. So I, I grew up very uh, illiterate in, in that in that realm. And that followed me through my 20s and 30s. Uh, and uh, it wasn't until I met Stacy Johnson <laughs> started working. Aaron, that Aaron I, and I have been working together for a very long time. We're also very good friends. Yeah, oh. until, uh, and, you know, light bulbs start going on about what I should be doing. Lucky Aaron. <laughs> well, you know, my, and my dad, my dad also, of course, hated the stock market because, you know, the depression and, and yeah. everything like that. And so he was, he was just very suspicious of anything. And you know what else he would do? I would say like, see, I wanted to be rich when I was a kid and I still do now. I mean, you know, this was a, this was a driving force in my life, mm-hmm. uh, maybe because of insecurity, but that's a whole nother podcast. Anyway, um, my dad would say like, I'm just, I'm just happy I can feed this family. You know, we, we don't need, we don't need fancy cars. You know, I mean, I grew up not with not enough to eat, you know, being able to just get by and be able to put you and your sister through school is a major company. But he was like, like he was mad about it. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. It, it was weird. Um, but in, so and it made it gave me a kind of guilt, which I, I still deal with today. You know, I still remind myself today. I deserve the things that I have. I've worked hard for them. Yes. That's so um, important. But but it's, but, you know, well, let me ask you this. So let me kind of come back to where we started. Mm-hmm. I, how does how do these attitudes that we all were you know brought up with, how can they hold us back? What what specifically happens? Like what what happens when you have these kinds of attitudes where scarcity uh, the scarcity attitude? How does that affect you in a negative way? Yeah, I mean it's it's extremely negative, and it's it's interesting because like I so I studied education. I became a teacher, and I remember learning um, in some of my early development and child psychology classes that kids here know. 18 times more per day than they hear yes. So I say, you know, mommy, can I do that? No. No, mom, dad, can I get that? No. And maybe, you know, once every 18 knows, you'll get a yes. <laughs> so that is sort of akin to like what I experience with money and what I think a lot of us experience with money is just this overwhelmingly negative narrative where even, you know, even just the expressions that we think about money, right? Like burns a hole in your pocket, break the bank, you know, fool and his money soon parted. Um, you know, money's the root of all evil I mentioned earlier, right? And, yeah. you know, there's so many expressions and idioms. It just, it's also, it's just like this woven fabric in our cultural narrative that money is bad and talking about money is bad. And so what that does is it creates this avoidance for, for most people where, they just, it's psychological. It's like this crutch. It's like, I am not going to face it because I'm afraid of it. And I've been taught explicitly that it's a taboo and that it's bad and negative and harmful and hurtful and disrespectful. And so why would I want to participate in that? So even though, you know, you might be um, struggling paycheck to paycheck, maybe don't have a real clear picture of your finances, but you still won't sit down to create a budget. You still won't, you know, um, ask questions about what the heck is inside of your 401k. You'd 
you just you keep putting it off. You keep thinking, oh, it's it'll eventually work itself out or I'll eventually figure it out when I absolutely have to or when it's more pertinent or relevant to me. And and that is the worst thing we can do because keep continuing to kick that can down the road, continuing to push it to the future, to the future, to the future. I talk about this in my book in the second chapter where I say future you is current you we we separate ourselves from our future so we pretend it's a different person and we treat that person like a total stranger we're so nasty to that person we're just like whatever i'll figure it out in the future oh i have debt out my future she'll figure it out when i get more money i'll pay it back when i get a raise i'll pay it back when i get a better job i'll figure it out and and we just keep pushing our problems off to future version of ourselves not recognizing and admitting and reflecting on the fact that that's the you that you are now. That's the same skin, the same bones, the same brain, the same. I mean, you might have different likes and dislikes and things, but but it's you. It's essentially the same exact person. So the more we can embrace that idea, I think the more we'll be willing to you know, be brave enough to, to face our financial issues head on. Do you think we all evolve in that direction? I mean, like we've all going around the circle of us. We've said, like, I used to feel this, but now I feel yeah. that. You know, in other words, do you think everybody evolves and figures this out? Or do you think a lot of people go through life with that scarcity attitude and they never are able to overcome it? I think most people, I want to say most people evolve uh, for the better financially. But when we look at statistics, I mean, just the average family is in a ton of debt with their credit cards and, you know, takes 30, 40 years to pay off their mortgage loans and is riddled with student loan debt and personal loans and car loans. And so... I think that we even sometimes when we know better or there's like a gut feeling in our stomach, in the pit of our stomach that we shouldn't maybe shouldn't be doing this, that we we tend to just do it anyway, because, again, we push it to the future thinking we'll figure it out. It'll work itself out or we'll fix it later. But we just worry about like the, the moment right now and getting what we want right now. Um, and, and I've seen that, you know, in a lot of my family, my friends, where I'll sit down with them and explain, hey, listen, if, if you want to make a choice that's strictly financially savvy, you're, you're not considering any other factors and you just care about the financial aspect of this choice, then it makes sense to go with, you know, route A. A couple of weeks later, a couple of months later, I see that they actively went ahead and pursued route B. And I'm like, what? We talked about this, <laughs> you know, yeah. we talked about uh, getting a car, uh, you know, with cash or, or car loan versus, you know, uh, leasing a car. We talked about the difference financially. We talked about, you know, the specific location where you are, how it makes more sense to rent versus buy or, or buy versus rent. And they just actively go ahead and do the opposite. And and I wonder to myself, you know, why why is it that that people do this? So I think that while people do tend to mature and, and improve a little bit in terms of their knowledge and what they know they should do or where the areas are that they need help, they don't always actually follow through on the behavioral side. This is a great place to stop because we need to take a break. But also, this is the dividing point in our show because what what we've done the first part is we described what money attitude is and how it can be holding you back. What we're going to do in the second part after this short break is we're going to talk about how to change your money mindset or even if you can. Mm-hmm. Uh, but And so that people can come out of this and, and everyone who's listening to this podcast is going to be super rich and successful after we explain that. <laughs> but let's, let's take a really quick break first. And in the meantime, uh, Yanelli can figure out how she's going to come, how she's going to fulfill the promise I just made. Yes. Uh, we'll be right gotcha. back. <laughs> okay, guys, uh, we are back. Uh, and remember, too, before we start again, um, 
if you appreciate what we do, do something for us. Share this, share this show with your friends and family on your favorite social platforms and subscribe to our podcast. Subscribing to our podcast takes you two seconds, but it makes us feel so much better. Please, t- please take a second and do that. Okay, now we are back, and l- I promised that Yanelli was going to make everyone listening to this podcast wealthy uh, or, or get a better money mindset. Uh, of course, I make promises all the time that I can't fulfill. But, uh, you know, how, how do you do this? What do you do? Because, hey, one thing we have to admit, that changing people is very difficult. That's something yes. you learn as you're growing up, right? You meet somebody yes. really cool, and you're like, oh, I just have this one problem. I could change that. And then you find out after you get divorced and lose half your money, you can't change it. You can't change people. But can you? Can you change who you are when it comes to money mindset? I, I think you can change who you are. And um, and I and I know that you can because I've done it. You know, I think back to who I was when I was oh, 21, 22, or even 25, 26, 27. I'm now in my mid-30s, and it feels like that is a totally different person. Like, I don't even know that girl. I can't even believe I was that girl because it feels like a completely different person. Um, I know it's the same me, right? But it just it's wild to me because I've evolved psychologically. Um, And I think that the reason why my psychology was able to shift is because I really started to recognize certain things that were at play in my life that I maybe just wasn't so hyper aware of before. So one of them is I began to, um, to feel defensive and protective. And I never felt like that before about money. When I would get money, immediately I'd want to spend it. Right. I'd want to go buy something that I want, shoes, clothes, food. I want to go experience, you know, the concert, go get movie tickets, go bowling. It was always get, 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 give, 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 give me, give me, give me, give me. And, and that's what money was for me. It was just this transactional thing that would allow me to get goods and things that I wanted. But when I started to shift the way that I perceive money, the way that I think about money, now I view money as a tool that allows me to create the life that I want and to buy back my time freedom to, to be able to have a Thursday afternoon at 1.24 p.m. Eastern time, I'm sitting here doing this podcast recording rather than, you know, being at a desk somewhere, right? Because I can create the lifestyle that I want to live if I control my money and I don't rely on someone else paying me um, and rely on that, you know, uh, specific, you know, type of specific um, paycheck or income to be able to live and sustain myself. So I think that the way that I changed my psychology was by thinking about how easily we are manipulated. And, and this was really for me studying behavioral economics economics that's you know really just the, the the psychology of money you know the choices that you make with your money and um one of the biggest things i got was that we are not in control of our choices all the time we are constantly being manipulated um and and we fall so easily prey to this manipulation herd mentality uh you know the the beehive kind of mentality where everybody's just kind of in a hive doing exactly what everyone else around us is doing we never pause to think independently or to challenge what the hive is doing, you know, or if that makes sense for us personally, given our preferences, our specific situation, um, you know, and the specifics of of our lived experience. So once I started to recognize that, I think it really started to help me include some of the hacks for changing your mindset, specifically that I've pulled from behavioral economics and behavioral science research. Cool. Now, that makes total sense, Janelle. What you said makes total sense for you. But imagine this. Okay, I'm listening to this podcast. I'm a person who's getting by you know, um, mm-hmm. but I really want to improve. I want I want to be in a better place. Can you give me specific steps? What's step one? What should I do to improve my attitude to bring more money and success into my life? Step one. Yeah. 
Yeah. So step one is assess what, what your money looks like right now. I, I got to admit to you, I recognize that I had a problem with my credit cards, but I couldn't tell you specifics. I had to pull up, I think I did 90 days. So three different monthly statements for my credit cards. And I pulled out a couple different highlighters, a blue highlighter, green highlighter, yellow highlighter, pink highlighter. And I just went through and I categorized. So every time I bought food, it was green. Every time that I spent on clothes and shoes, it was blue. Every time that, you know, I, I, I did something entertainment, I put that in green. And so I would go through and and highlight like all of the different uh, things. And then I started to see the patterns of my spending. And I was like, wait, why am I spending? Why is everything yellow? Or like, why is all this green? It, it, it didn't make sense to me because I wasn't even aware of what my spending habits were or where my, you know, what um, some people call it, like, you know, the, the holes in your bucket, right? Like you have, you're pouring water into a bucket, there's holes in your bucket because you're never, you're trying to fill it up and you're never going to be able to fill it up because of those gaps. And that's kind of what happens with your budget. You have all these leaks, right? You, because you, you're not aware of these areas where you're not being conscious about your spending. So I would say that's the first thing. You have to be the one who's super conscious of your spending. You know, I I wrote in my book that Google and Facebook and, and Instagram, all these companies, all these tech companies, they will do anything to get our data. They, all they care about is big data. They just want data. They want to know what you're looking at, what you're scrolling through, what you, what ads you watch, which ones you consider buying and didn't buy, which ones you actually bought, you know, what you, everything about you, right? Because that information is so precious because they can be conscious about what you like, what you do with your money, and how can they use that to manipulate you to spend even further Especially on a day where you woke up and said, I'm not going to spend any money today. They find a way to convince us to buy the thing. Um, and so we have to be better equipped than these giant tech companies at knowing the data. We have to know where we spend, why we spend that way, how much we spend. And if we don't know that, then there's no way. You can't, you can't change something if you haven't tracked it. You can't manage something that you haven't measured. Excellent. Excellent advice. So the first thing we want to do is we want to figure out exactly where we are and then maybe why we're there. Is, is that yeah. is that accurate? Why Definitely. are we spending the money that we're spending? Uh, you know, when yeah. we, but first we have to examine where it's going. Then we figure out why we're doing it. Is that right? Absolutely. I think the why matters so much because you know, for for me, I would it was it was very mindless. I, I don't think I had a real why. I think it was honestly just boredom. If I had to give it a, a, a specific reason, I was in my early twenties. I was a teacher. I would leave the school building, and you know, on my way to the bus station, I would stop and buy something. You know, a Snickers bar, a, a, a granola bar, a yogurt, a, a lotion, a candle, a body spray, a chapstick, a lip gloss, anything, literally anything. And and I and I wasn't even aware of all these little expenses. It was like death by a thousand cuts. Like when I finally pulled up my credit card and was like, what the heck did I spend $40 at CVS buying? Like, what was that? Mm -hmm. and, and that's when I started to really realize my why. It wasn't even a real uh, significant or, or real reason. It was just I was in a bad habit and in order to stop myself, I completely cut myself off. So I didn't walk out of my home with any cash, with my debit card or my credit card, nothing. I just had my bus pass, my train pass, my laptop, my books that I needed for school. I packed my lunch, packed the snack, got a water bottle, and that was it. I didn't, and I mean, I had my keys to get in out of my house, but that was it. If I was stranded somewhere, I could get on the subway or get on the bus and go back home. Um, I lived in New York City at the time, so this this worked out for me with my Metro Pass, but I, I didn't have money on me. And I still 
still one day walked into a store and tried to buy something, something. I put all the stuff on the counter. And when I went to go pay, I was like, oh, snap. I do not have a way to pay this lady. Like I, <laughs> because I, I didn't, because I had to trick myself. I had to force myself to go cold turkey because I had such a problem of being just a, a ridiculous shopaholic, spendaholic with no real reason. And this this actually reminds me a little bit of you, Miranda. When not the shopaholic part, but the, <laughs> the the part about how where you take you assess your life and what you want it to look like, right? Isn't that, isn't that kind of what you know he's talking about too? And I've heard you say the exact same thing too. Of course, we all have in personal finances to assess where you are first. But then you also have uh, have talked about what what did you want from life and how this uh, you know tracking your expenses can help you achieve it. And I don't know if I'm saying that right, but you tell me. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, that's one of the things is it's one of the things that really opened my eyes and helped me shift my money mindset was when I was like, why, why can't I travel as much as I want? Why don't I have enough money to travel? And then I'm looking around going, oh, it's because I have all of these like useless knickknacks that I just randomly buy for no apparent reason <laughs> and uh, things that don't matter to me. And so by t- by taking this mindset shift and saying, OK, well, like money is a tool. Stop stop thinking of money as the mean as the end itself, right? We we talk about like, okay, yeah, we need money to like buy survival things and everything else. And we're always talking about, oh, we gotta save for retirement, we gotta pile this money up. But we never stop and think about like, okay, um, the, the money is actually the tool. The money is the means to the end, not the end itself. And having for me, having that mindset shift and saying, okay, now that I understand this, how do I want to use my money as a tool to live the life I want? And then I'm just like, so, um, so I do, I, I put together four questions I ask myself before I spend money and, uh, do that whole thing to make sure that when I am using my money, how I'm using it aligns with my values and it aligns with how I want my life to look. How did you figure out, I, it, when, hearing you talk made me think about back when I was a stockbroker, when I was, a, I was an accountant first and I was making $18,000 a year. And, and then I became, that's how old I am. Then I became a stockbroker. And within a few years, I was making a hundred grand. I didn't, I've never met anyone who made a hundred grand. Right. Uh, and, and all my friends, the, you know, the people that were, that started with me, they were buying like Mercedes and moving into big houses and stuff. And I didn't, you know why? Because what I really wanted to do was not have a damn boss. I, mm-hmm. I thought that the the morals and ethics in the in the brokerage business were horrible, uh, and I didn't want to. I, I, it was hard, getting harder and harder for me to shave every day. You know, looking in the mirror, uh, and, and so I just I wasn't getting any. I was getting joy out of the money, but I wasn't getting joy out of the job. And I also I know you'll find this difficult to believe, but I will also say just about anything to anybody at any time for any reason, uh, which doesn't go well with bosses. So um, I, you know, I, I wasn't getting along real well. So I wanted to be self-employed. And it was so important to me that I started putting money aside rather than buying these toys and the, and the bigger house. Right. And so that, that's when my, my attitude shifted. Because uh, in other words, I guess what I'm trying to say is you got to figure out what the hell you want out of life. Yeah. Right. And, and then, and the then all of a sudden too. that candy bar is not so important because getting what you want out of life becomes important, more important. And then you yeah, automatically but, start your your attitude begins to change and your actions begin to change. Yeah, I'll I'll tell you I think that that's the hardest part for a lot of people. You know, you could you can do anything. 
And when you can do anything, you do, you tend to do nothing, right? Decision paralysis because you just have too many freaking options, right? You can you can go live on a boat. You can be a nomad and live in a different place every month or two. You can buy a house. You can have an apartment that you rent or lease an apartment and change it every year. You can get married or you can not get married. You can have kids. You can, uh, you know, I mean, truly the life that you create, it can be anything, And because of that, that scares so many young people in the years where it's most important for them to get control of their finances, to to build the strongest habits, to start investing, right? During those years, we're so consumed with like, oh, the decision paralysis of, well, how do I want my life to look in 10 years and five years and 15 years? I don't know, because you can do anything. You can look at any many one so many ways that I think that sort of is where so many people get stumped. Well, I think, do, do you think it's true also that some people just don't even know what they're doing, what they want? I yeah, mean, exactly. Because there's so what many do choices, they don't they know go, what to I pick. Want to, I want to be happy. You know, yeah. uh, so, I mean, you, now what do you really want? Well, I don't know. You know, uh, uh, rich, famous, yeah. race, yeah. you know, they don't know. They don't know. And so That's what do you right. tell people like that? I mean, how do you get somebody to focus their attention and their yeah. finances when they can't even tell you what to focus at? Yeah, you know, so I actually went to a conference a couple of years ago um, for business-minded people. And that was because I was, you know, trying to improve my business. I'm not always a business-minded person. I'm always like, I want to help people. I want to, you know, be good in the world. <laughs> like, okay, but business doesn't just, you know, rely on helping people. You also got to make money. So I went to this conference. And this, I think, applies here, which is this this approach to uh, thinking of multi-layered answers like an onion. So when I went to this conference, this person who was speaking said, you, when you are looking for your target audience, you have to really create this person. You have to be very specific about who they are. So you, you think of an onion, you peel the first layer and that's your first descriptor. Okay. So my audience is going to be uh, 20 somethings. Okay, next, peel the next layer on the onion. What What's next? 20-somethings, what else? Uh, 20-somethings living in um, major cities in the U.S. Okay, great. Peel the next layer of the onion. What else? 20-somethings living in major cities in the U.S. Um, who graduated from college. Okay, great. You got 20-something college graduates living in major cities. What's next? Peel the next layer. And you just got to keep describing more and more in detail by giving more adjectives, more descriptors, so that you, by the time you have maybe 10 descriptors, you now have a clear picture of exactly who you're talking to in your business, who's your ideal client. And I did that exercise and it was so freaking helpful because I had never done that before. Um, I was like, I want to help everybody with money. When you want to help everybody, you help nobody. Yeah. Um, and this is the same thing with your with your finances and with your life. When you when you don't know what you want, you, you want nothing. You're, you're, you're working towards nothing. So I would say do that onion exercise. Get real specific in describing the life that you want. Where are you going to where's your ideal place to live? What's the kind of lifestyle? Right. Like, do you want kids? Are you going to be married? Do you own the home or do you rent? Like what you have to get really specific. Are you going to have a car? Are you going to bike? If you don't have a car, you're going to Uber. Are you going to, you know, you have to be real specific about the day to day of your life. And to the point where now you have this clear picture of the person and it's no longer this nebulous thought of a future person, a future self, or the stranger who you're going to treat unkindly, because now you have this very clear picture of them. You're more invested in who they are. You care about them. And now you know what you want, and you're going to be much more likely to be motivated to work for it. That's excellent. And you know, one of the things I said in, in that book I mentioned earlier, Life or Debt, was um, what really, and this is overly simplistic, but if you think about 
If you close your eyes and you think about the happiest moments of your life, in fact, when I just said happiest moments of your life, probably something popped into the head of everybody listening to this. That's right. Uh, and, and if you can do that, uh, and you know, it, it, may, it may be something that doesn't you can't replicate, like your child being born or getting married or something like that. But it, but the things that bring you the most joy, all you really have to do is stop spending money on things that aren't on that list and start spending them on things that are. And then yes. you're going to be a happier person. Again, yeah. a simplistic way of looking at it, but but something you can also do to try to figure out who you are. And Because you don't have to be like anybody else. Like you That's said, right. you don't have to live in a, in a house. You don't have yeah. to, you know, you can move around. You can do it. You could be anything and go anywhere. That's um, right. But you have to know what that is. So, Absolutely. you know, think about who you are and where you want to be and realize, too. That can change. One of the reasons I live in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, is because I came down to Florida from Ohio because I always want to live by the water, which I still enjoy. But I wanted to sail around the world. Mm. Uh, and I don't want to do that anymore. I, right. I still like boating. But I don't wow. want to, you know, the, the thought of sailing around the world seems kind of not appealing to me anymore. So you can change <laughs> who, who you are, who you want to be. But you got to start somewhere. Yeah. And you should. And you should change it because the reality is you're going to meet new people and have new goals and experience new things. And it's going to it's it's basically your brain is like a computer and the computer can't put any outputs out there into the ether, into the universe, into the world unless it has inputs, unless code has been programmed into the computer. Now, when new code gets inputted into the computer, it's got different outputs. Right. Yeah. So the same thing happens to your brain. You go through life, you see new things, new places, you get new thoughts, new experiences, you meet new people and all that's new data, new code Going into the computer, your output's going to be different. You're not going to want the same outputs, the same outcomes that you wanted before. And I was, I used to be scared of that. I used to be scared of changing. And I think growing up in an environment, you know, inner city, urban, like I, I think it was, um, it was used against against us a lot. Like we, it was bullies would say that to us, like, "Oh, you changed. You you're a sellout. You know, like you're different now." And almost as if that's a bad thing. Um, and it took me a long time to let go of that mentality and recognize that changing and improving is beautiful. It's it's great. It's better. It's what we should aspire to. We shouldn't aspire to be the same that we were 10 years ago. That's that's horrible. Right. No growth, no change, no progress. And that to me, I think also was a shift with my money because I was like, if I don't change something drastically right now, then you're going to fast forward into my life and I'm going to be 55 with the same struggles that I'm dealing with, having no idea what I'm spending money on with all these budget leaks and and no real solutions, only the same problems. There's one there's one money mindset that we didn't touch on, though. What's that? And we talked a lot about people getting a money mindset to change their, their finances and, and, and be more well off. But what happens to those of us when I think during this economic time it's happening quite a bit to a lot of people is that you've built a little stockpile, but now you're afraid to make any moves because you need to go further. You need to build up more retirement. You've got to where you got to with a better money mindset. But now everything is going on. You're fearful of making any moves because you're worried of losing it all. I, yeah. I don't know. Uh, well, actually, Yanelli, you're the expert. How would you answer that? Yeah, I mean, I think that's a that's a natural thing. Um, it, it's it's loss aversion. You work so hard to create, you know, the the the, play, the plan and then to execute the plan, and you've succeeded. And now you're like hoarding this money. And I see that a lot actually in the fire movement, in the fire community, financial independence, um, retire early folks tend to you know be sitting on these giant piles of money, and then they're like living super frugally and minimally. And I'm like, you know, you can enjoy you, you can enjoy some of that money too. You know, <laughs> you you can do more, you know, than but but they're I sometimes 
sometimes I think tend to be a little afraid to overspend or to run out or to be off track. And um, and so I think for me that the the key there is to figure out what's what is it that you are comfortable risking and what is it that you're not. It, it, we're more, generally more people are going to be. Um, you know, more risk averse than those who are going to be comfortable taking risks. And that's just because of the natural inclination to be averse to losses. That is our human nature. We don't we, we don't want to lose. We are feel we feel losses twice as badly as we celebrate wins and gains. And so, you know, we would rather not lose twenty dollars than find twenty dollars on the floor. So because that's how our human nature is, we have to recognize that and we have to then put that into our plan and say, okay, when I reach this point, I'm going to then, you know, reallocate what I've got going on, rebalance and say, this is a portion of my money that I'm going to allow myself to spend guilt free, that I'm going to allow myself to use to pursue passions or to travel or to do whatever I want with no judgment. Um, And if you don't have that, then you tend to just group all your money into one big bucket and, and feel this like deep connection to it because of the process it took to get it. But then you're not allowing yourself to really enjoy it. And, and I, I do see that a lot. So I would especially for people who are the first generation in their family to reach financial independence um, because they're you know, they know that that hasn't always been afforded to previous uh, generations in their families. So I, I think that that's the key is to really be real with yourself about what amount you want to set aside um, to be a bit more. Um, you know, free with and then what amount you'll, you know, be continuing to grow and to protect in a way that maybe is a little bit more um, risk averse. I'm so glad we had that conversation. And I'm so glad you brought that up, Aaron, because that's literally what's happened to me lately. Uh, I I literally Mm. been sitting here. Do you mention that because of me specifically? No, I I, I just just (laughs) think it's... This is true, though, you guys. I live in a house a third of what I could afford. I drive, I'm driving a 2009 car and I'm a multimillionaire. See? And just the other day, but you know, like Aaron said, I'm afraid. I'm not. I'm not afraid. Like consciously afraid of losing money. I've been managing it my whole life, yeah. but I and I'm not really afraid of spending money. But you know, I, it's part of it is like I don't even. It it just doesn't matter as much to me anymore. I mean, I used yeah. to dream about having a Ferrari. I could literally go buy a Ferrari for cash right now, but mm-hmm. I don't care about a Ferrari. Anymore. You don't want that, right? But I, but what I also don't want to do is is work my whole life to make millions of dollars and die with it all because I don't even have kids. Mm-hmm. You know, so so it's it, but it's hard. What you've spent your, I mean, I'm 68 years old. I, I spent I spent 60 years, well, not 60, 50 years, trying to trying to accumulate this nest egg, and, and yeah. it's hard to turn on a dime and and start spending it. You know, that's right. It is. It is. But you got now. You do the same exercise, but in reverse. Instead of trying to figure out who you want and all the things, so you can stop spend, so you can start getting your money right, you're gonna start doing that same reflection, so you can start enjoying your money a little bit, yeah. right? What are the things that would you know that you'd be so excited tomorrow to wake up and do right like and plan that plan that right like to me that's the exciting part of being at where the point where you are and i I look forward to that i look forward to being 68 and having my multiple millions and being like what do i want to do like i could do anything i can afford to do anything and that that's a beautiful feeling but you definitely got to make time to reflect on what you want to do with the money and and then just give yourself permission to enjoy it that's really helpful and i'm really going to do that i've actually learned something really important for myself today and you know, here's yeah. here's the good news too. There's not yeah. many people that will help you accumulate, but there's boatloads of people that'll help you distribute. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's a fact. <laughs> yeah. My my wife has has no problem spending money. <laughs> I, I want you, know, you actually. Go, I say to her, I'm, I'm like, do you want me to buy you something? I'll buy you something. What do you want? Because <laughs> I just rather buy her, her her stuff than buy me stuff. Anyway. <laughs> 
we're, we're, we are way out of time, but I've really, really enjoyed uh, having you today, Yanelli. This has been a really good podcast. Folks, you. If, you want, if you want to uh, learn more about this stuff, and I encourage you to, dig a little deeper. You're going to find links to lots more info in our show notes. And remember, if your goal is to make more, to spend less, to retire rich, your online home is moneytalksnews.com. And don't forget to check out Miranda's online home as well. That is Miranda Markwit, M-A-R-Q-U-I-T.com. And, of course, you want to get more information from Yanelli. Now, here's your website, missbehelpful.com, M-I-S-S-B-E. Helpful.com. Is that right? That's right. And, tell and me if you want to check out again. my book, I don't know if I you can do that. What's your book? Yeah. And if you want to do, uh, if you want to check out the book, you can do that at mindyourmoneybook.com. Mindyourmoneybook.com. But Mind Your Money is the name of the book. That's right. And you can also see it in our show notes, folks. So no problem there. If you got a question, comment, or topic you'd like to suggest, tell us about it. Email us at hello at moneytalksnews.com. And one final thing. Well, I've already said it once. I'm going to say it one more time. If you like what we do, subscribe to our podcast. It just takes you a couple of seconds, but it really helps us out. I'm Stacy Johnson. I'm Miranda Marquette. I'm Aaron Freeman. I'm Yanelli. Thank you so much for having me on. This was awesome. <laughs> Thanks for being here. We're gonna. I hope you're going to be back again sometime soon, folks. You're going to find us right here next time. Be well. <laughs> <laughs>